If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Now I am someone who does not enjoy pictures, and it's not because of my face. I don't enjoy pictures because I think a lot of times it gives us a counterfeit understanding of the reality of who we are. Now, I grew up in a time where we used to go to the Olin Mills studios. And we used to go, and the parents would, it seemed like, spend thousands of dollars um, to find the perfect picture. And so everybody had to dress up and be color-coordinated, and you had to bring your little comb and brushes, and you went there, and then you got to see these pictures on the wall of these perfect families as you went to go take your picture and to find the right background and to have the right things taken in front of you so that the picture might come out right. Now, my response to my mom at that point was, why don't we just take a picture off the wall? Why don't we just get a family that works? Because they sure do look really well as compared to our family. I mean, haven't you ever thought about the frames that you buy just leaving the pictures in the frames? And they do so much better than we do, right? Because a lot of times our pictures give us false, counterfeit understandings of the reality of what family really is. It doesn't get any better today just because you all have cell phones and you guys can take 7,000 pictures that never go into a frame. And it doesn't help that we are at places where people are now posting things and so you have to recreate the moment. Oh, that didn't work. Let's take it again. It's counterfeit. It doesn't give us the reality of how our families really are. See, in all the homes that I've ever gone to, even um, during good times and bad times, I can tell you this, I have never seen a family photo of a member of their mugshot. Never. I've never seen funeral photos above the mantle place. Why is that? Because if we're honest... We get caught up in the counterfeit. We like going back, and I remember at Ola Mills, you'd have to go back, remember, for your sitting, because it wasn't like today where you get the automatic pictures. You'd have to go back, and they would have prints. And who were you looking at in that photo? Yourself. Oh, I don't like that one. Don't choose that one, Mom, because I don't look good in it. Or choose this one, because I really look good. I don't care what my sister is doing. See, we get this sense that, again, pictures give us this sometimes of a false sense. See, what I like is I like stories. This is very fresh because of Gail's uh, funeral yesterday, or memorial service. And uh, one of the kids that was there was talking about how Gail uh, caught him speeding one time and how she confronted him about his speeding but then not, didn't tell the parents as to rat him out. And he said, for him, she became a cooler person in his mind. 
See, God doesn't give us a photo book. He gave us a book of stories. And he lets us see the family of God the way it really is, the good and the bad. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage where Paul is getting ready to to give a prayer for the Ephesians again, but he does it kind of as a sidestep. And for verses 1 through 13, and we're only going to look 1 through 6 this morning, but from 1 to 13, he wants to encourage the Ephesians because they're a little bit upset of the situation that he's going through. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through and read this passage. Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6 this morning. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. For when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men and other, not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, it's Jesus who is the word. And so, Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come in abundance, Lord, that we wouldn't be wasting our time, that we wouldn't be bored, but, Lord, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to to move in our hearts and move in our minds, that we would see just the glory of your gospel fresh and new today. Father, you teach us. You give us your stories that change us forever. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul says that he is a prisoner, and that's what we're looking at, Paul being a prisoner of Christ. And he says it, for this is done on the behalf of the Gentiles. Now, again, we need to understand, because there is a real concern for Paul, there's a genuine concern and a love for Paul, because he's writing from prison, and he's writing from prison in Rome. And it began to have some of the people within the churches that he was writing to start asking some of these questions. Is God good? Is God in control? Is this fair for God to have Paul in prison? And so doubts begin to arise in their faith. Because for them, they really thought that Paul was a prisoner of Caesar. And more specifically, that Caesar was Nero. And Nero was a terrible, he did an abusive government, it was overwhelming, and we know that he did horrendous things to Christians, and he would actually burn them at his dinner parties as lights for the meals. We know that this was a bad, bad time, and so there was a genuine concern for Paul. But Paul wants those people to be assured. And so what he does in this passage for the first, these next 13 verses, he gives five encouragements. He gives five encouragement to the people. And the first thing that he wants them to know is that he is a prisoner of Christ, not Caesar. See, Paul is captured to God's goals. He wants to die to himself. And so, again, God, remember, changes his name from Saul, 
which had a, a great meaning during that time period. It's Saul was the first king of Israel. And so there's an understanding where Paul, as we know him, was Saul. And so Saul became Paul. And he wants us to understand that nobody put him in chains unless Jesus wanted him there. And that is so key for us to understand that we are never put in a position where something does not go through Jesus' hand. He wants us there because he knows that that's exactly where we need to be. The Heidelberg Catechism, question number one, says this, and this should be very encouraging to us. The question asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. For he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. See, that's the encouragement. It should begin to affect how we trust him, how we see every trial and tribulation that we go through because he is the one who is faithful. Now, Paul understood this because Paul was a prisoner for the Gentiles. He's in physical prison. If you look at Acts chapter 22, um, it tells a story, and you can look through Acts 21 through 23 in the, in the Bible and read through it later on, but listen to what it says in Acts 22, starting at verse 21. And so Paul is, is meeting with the people. He actually speaks to them in Hebrew, so they become very quiet. And they listen to everything he says, and then he says this in verse 21. And he said to me, that is to Paul, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, as soon as he says the word Gentiles, this is how they respond. Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. So they had listened to everything that Paul had to say about him being who he was. He, they listened to everything that he said about Jesus. But as soon as he mentioned the word Gentiles, they became offended. And not just offended, they were disgusted by what he said. So much so that they were ready to put him to death. There are people in the Bible that were said, we will not eat again until he is dead. Now, why is it so offensive? Now, weren't there Gentiles that became Jews? We know that from the Old Testament, right? But that's the point. They had to become Jews. And now Paul's preaching a gospel where he's saying, hey, you don't have to become Jewish. You get to stay Gentile. And you still get to inherit everything that Christ promises. And that ticks them off. They don't want that. But what it allows us to see from Paul is it allows us to see his heart for the people. 
How do we see his heart for the people? Because for Paul, he'd rather choose to be in prison so that his brothers and sisters might be with him in eternity. See, he counted a privilege to sacrifice and love for them. And it's a question to us. Who do you love? Who do you have a love and concern that you would become in prison or you would become um, put into a, a way financially that's hurtful, that you would be inconvenienced for so that they might hear the gospel of Christ? Because I think a lot of times if we're honest, there's very few people that we're willing to do that for. Heck, we don't even want to give our leftovers, let alone our good stuff. I sure as heck don't want to go to prison for anybody. But what if God called you to suffer in trials and tribulations so that others might know? And Paul revels in it. He says, I love you, Gentiles, so I find myself in prison. All he would have had to do is shut up. And he could have lived his life freely. But for him, he understood that he had been called to be a steward. He says, hey, have you heard that I'm a steward? And he's a steward for the household of God. And a steward is someone who takes care of matters for somewhere else. Someone who's entrusted with the resources of the Holy Spirit. And why does he have this as a steward? It's so that he might talk about God's grace. He was heading to punishment. He was heading in a bad place. He was going and killing the people. But then God calls him, has an encounter with him, and reveals to him and gives him the privilege to preach the gospel. And he gives them the, the gospel because it's a mystery that's revealed. Now, for us, mystery means typically something that's unknown or only known to a specific few. If you remember the, the movie, the, A Christmas Story, and remember Ralphie uh, sends away and he gets his little orphan Annie decoder thing, right? And so he has to listen to the radio, and then the, the message comes off, and they said, set your decoder uh, things to this number and this letter, and here they are, and he gets, tends to give the numbers, and he runs off. Remember, he runs to the bathroom. He says, this is the only place where a 12-year-old could be by himself in the house, and so he's sitting there, and he's decoding, trying to find out, and what was it? It was the thing for Ovaltine, Right? But he keeps his own brother from going to the bathroom because he wants to find out what the secret message is. And a lot of times we think that's what's happening with mystery. But what it's speaking about here in mystery is mystery means that which is concealed is now revealed. That's how the Bible works. It's not a mystery saying there's, you have to have some kind of important um, knowledge. It's not saying you have to go through these things in order to get to a place where you get the secret knowledge. He's saying there was a mystery that was happening in the Old Testament that's now revealed. And the revelation comes in such a way that it's an open secret. Paul wants everyone to know about Jesus. He's not hiding him from them. He's saying, I want you to know because we're all in this together in Christ. 
And he says this happens by the mystery of Jesus Christ. Now, how does he have this? We know he has it because of his insight, because of the conversion. It's what Mr. Bryant read for us, Chris read for us earlier. That's the conversion experience of Paul. He goes from Saul, and he's on the road, and he's going to, to take the people to bring them back to Jerusalem to put them into prison. And he's seeking to arrest and to judge them. But he has an encounter with the living God. And remember, God doesn't, um, Jesus doesn't just talk to him and he doesn't say, hey, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? And when he has this encounter with the living God, then we see that Paul, Saul is transformed into Paul. There is a transformation, and through the transformation, there's a call that happens. And so there's a a conversion experience that he goes through, but then he's given a divine commission to declare the gospel. Not only to declare the gospel, but specifically through Jesus to the Gentiles. Now again, what I've already said, you should be paying attention. How do the Jewish people think about the Gentiles? This was... Paul going after Jewish people who believed in Christ. Now, how do you think Paul felt about God telling them, hey, you're not just going to go to the Jewish people, you're going to go to the Gentiles. Remember, Paul was a Jew above Jews. He's told those people that you have hated all of your lifetime, that you have despised, that you have been thought of less than dogs, I'm calling you and I'm telling you now, I'm commissioning you to go and speak to them the truth of the gospel message. That's what he does. And Paul says that how it comes to him is by revelation. Now what he does in regards to this mystery, and this is where it makes a little bit more sense, because there are differences. Because in the Old Testament, the the proclamation of the mystery wasn't there. This is what Ligon Duncan says. Paul had the great privilege of proclaiming something that even Isaiah didn't proclaim, that even Jeremiah didn't proclaim, that even Ezekiel didn't proclaim, that even Moses didn't proclaim. Paul would be given a message to proclaim that even the greatest of the Old Testament prophets up to even the time of John the Baptist had not had the privilege of proclaiming. And for all those reasons, Paul's response to the people is, you're discouraged by my trials and my imprisonment. You've got to be kidding. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, what was hidden in the Old Testament has now been revealed, and it's Paul's great privilege. And he's saying, quit worrying about me being in prison. I get to do the spiritual thing. I get to do the thing that is the greatest thing, and that's to tell people about Jesus. Now, he does it by the Spirit. Now, you would think that you would look at Paul's life and kind of go, well, of course it makes sense for Paul to go out and and kind of give the gospel presentation. If you were walking home or you were out riding your bike or whatever and you had a light flash in front of you and you heard from heaven a voice so that other people around you could hear but they couldn't see and then you're suddenly blind, would you have a difference of an experience in life? Yes. Not only that, he had the opportunity to go to the third level of heaven. Well, of course, he's going to go out and talk about Jesus because he had these special privileges. 
That's not why Paul is so excited. That's not why Paul is on fire. He had the mystery revealed to him. And it's the same spirit that speaks to us. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 19 and following. This is Peter speaking. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the same Spirit you have. We have the mystery revealed to us. And so it's our responsibility to proclaim the gospel message also. We too are called to preach the gospel where we are. Now again, it might not be to specific Gentiles. Maybe you are just supposed to speak to Jewish people. Maybe you are supposed to speak to Hindu people. Maybe you are supposed to speak to people that are not straight. Maybe you are supposed to speak to people at your place of business. Maybe you should speak to your neighbors. But speak where God has placed you. He's called you, just as if he's called Paul. Just as if you've had an experience on the Damascus Road. He has called you to speak for him so that you have the singular focus in your life, which is Jesus. So no matter where you're at, no matter what situation you find yourself, and no matter the trials or tribulations you experience, it's all about him. And since it's all about him, then what it brings to us as a family is there has to be some very specific things. The first thing is that we have to get the gospel right. Because if we don't get the gospel right, then we don't get it. So who in this room or in this world deserves for Jesus to come and die for your sins? No one. No one. Not a pastor. Not a priest. Not a missionary. Not a political figure. Not some guru who's sitting on some mountain. Not some witch doctor. Not some wicked person. None of those people have done anything to earn the love of God. None of us deserve the gospel message. And yet, because of God's love before the foundation of the world, he gives to us the reality that we are, have our sins paid for because he went to the cross. And when he rises from the dead, he gives to us something very specific, his righteousness that we could never earn. And he does that for everyone the same way. Everyone. So it should encourage us to go out and preach the gospel to everyone. Which means you and I need to quit picking and choosing who gets to hear the gospel. Because we do that sometimes, don't we? You don't deserve it. You, in essence, should really go to hell. Pastor, you can't say that. That's what we are saying. We need to look at the people and say, 
just as, as Stephen did, just as Christ did from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Give them the opportunity to see the truth of the gospel clearly. And when they do that, then when he says to these Gentile people, you who were once far off are now my heirs, your brothers and sisters with me, which means we all inherit what we get from Christ. Now, I want you to think of this. Phillips, uh, Pastor Phillips said this. He says, not that we all get a piece of the pie, but that we all share the whole pie together. Now, I want you to, to make this very practical. When you go to a restaurant and you order dessert, don't order one that comes just for you on your plate. I want you to think of it like um, the lava cake, where they bring out one cake with all the ice cream on top, even in the midst of COVID, and they bring you out 16 spoons for everybody to share. Now apply that to the promises and to the airship of Christ. You don't get your little bit of Jesus. Do you get that? When you're in heaven, you don't get to just have your special time with Jesus and then let Jesus go and spend other time with the other people. You're sharing him with everyone. The sad thing is we haven't figured that out here on earth. We're supposed to be sharing him together all the blessings of God. Why? Because we're all called as the part of one body. It's one body built in love. And this means we go through both the benefits and the hurts. We can't just have just the good times. It, I'm sorry, that's not family. That's not your body. And those who've gotten older understand. Because we wake up and things that never have popped start to pop. And we're having to get up at times where we shouldn't be getting up. Things happen. And I want you to understand that, this, yes, love is a choice. And we choose to love every day, but so is hate. So if you have a problem with someone else, that is your choice. You're the one who's chosen not to forgive them. You're the one who's chosen not to fix the relationship. God comes to us through Christ and he says, we're built up together. We're supposed to be working together, one body, difficult times, good times. We don't quit. I don't get a hangnail and cut off my finger. I joked with, I joked with Jameson all the time when he'll come in and go, oh, I got something in my hand. I said, go get my knife. Go get it. Dad, you're not cutting off my hand. Well, then go take the thing out. Quit complaining. Quit crying about it. Let's fix the issue. If not, go get my knife. Dad, that's not right. You're right. It's not. We're all together part of the body. And then the last thing he tells us is we all have the same promises. And remember what Paul prayed for for the people, the Ephesians. He didn't say, hey, I hope you guys all, all get it, that you all just sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. He says, this is the thing that the church needs most, that every person needs, that we grow in the love and knowledge of our God.
And here's why. Because if we get this relationship right, then these relationships get better. Has to. Again, I love Steve Brown. Um, And he would say to us, he says, if I go one day without being in the Word and spending time in Christ, he says, my wife definitely knows I haven't spent time in Christ. I spend two days not in it. He says, those who are close around me, they know that I haven't spent time. He said, I don't spend three days. He said, everybody knows because he's such a jerk. That's true for all of us. If we're not spending time, if we're not getting this right, then we're not going to get right with each other. But see, we're called together as the body of believers who are united in Christ, and so we all get all the promises, all people, all races, all tribes, all cultures. So would you rather have a picture or would you rather have stories? I will tell you this, probably probably my best picture is not of my immediate family. It's made up of the church. All different. I'm definitely better looking than some people. Uglier than others. But we're all in the same picture. Because we're family. That is what Paul wants you to get. No matter the trials, no matter the tribulations, it's all worth it in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please give us the same burning desire that Paul had to see Jesus reigning wherever the sun might shine. Give us the burning desire of Paul to see the Gentiles enjoy the glorious pleasures of the company of the saints. So Lord, for us today, may we see the Muslim world, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world, the pagan world. May they all come and worship the crucified dead, buried, risen, and ascended Savior, Jesus Christ, trusting in Him through the gospel. And, O God, by Your Spirit, grant that we ourselves would trust in Christ through the gospel and know all of Your promises, and that it would change the way we view the trials of this life. We ask this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen.